0: Guess what, everybody? Coming this Friday is the 150th episode of The Cinephiles. And to celebrate, John and I sat down to answer your questions on topics like favorite cinematographers, definition of an epic, director we most look forward to, how the show is made, films we respect but refuse to rewatch, best movie ensembles, dream guests, dream jobs, adaptations, filmmaking technique, and John's name change. And no... I couldn't get him to reveal the name he was born with. Sorry. I mean, I don't even know it. It was so much fun to answer all your questions, and we are so grateful for all of your support through our first 150 episodes. And don't worry, we plan on doing this for a long, long time. So that's our 150th episode Q&A this Friday on The Cinephiles. Hello and welcome to our 150th episode. John, we have recorded 150 episodes of The Cinephiles. Mind-blowing. And that means over three years of material. Yeah. It's hard to believe we've been doing this for three years. I know, it's crazy. Right? Right. I, I, well, and we—it's funny when we set out. You and I kind of talked of like, you know, we want to be the definitive, hmm. you know, discussion about great films. Yeah. And now we've—well, we haven't talked about 150 films. We've probably no. talked of over well over 100. Certainly. is. I feel like on the one hand, man, we've covered a lot of ground, and on the other hand, we got a whole lot more to cover. Yeah. Like, every day we get emails of, why haven't you done this? And why haven't you done mm-hmm. this? It's mm-hmm. like, man, we're going to have to do a lot more of these episodes. This is like
1: when you're working out and you finish the first two <laughs> rounds and he goes, uh, your trainer goes, oh, no, this is just the warm-up. This is the warm-up. What do you mean this is the warm-up? I'm already exhausted. But, yeah, there are so many great films we still have to cover. We still haven't touched The Godfather, no, which we get constant requests for, and we will. And, and, uh, and, and much so like many Hitchcock,
0: It's not like we didn't want to do right, The Godfather. we right, were right.
1: ready to do it. I think that's where our propensity to be very proprietary about our love of certain movies and want it to be yeah. done right supersedes the fans desire at times to, for us to get to it. Because when we do get to it, I think all of you can attest
0: who are listening, we do a really great job of bringing that fan right. to life and well, do a thorough research. I, I, my guess is Godfather will happen within the next year. Sure. You know, it's definitely one we've talked about over and over again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There are a bunch of other ones we certainly keep talking. There's a couple of guests we've tried to schedule for movies that are really important movies. It's yeah. like, the scheduling fell through it's like we got to start over so you know there's definitely some good stuff coming absolutely but 150 in <laughs> it's been a long time. It has been, and of course, as we did on our 100th episode, this is we decided to open this up to q and A. Q&A. Yeah, and so we've gotten we 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 asked for questions from all our listeners. We got a whole bunch of them. Some people wrote some epic long, yeah, questions, which we'll I appreciate. Th- yeah, it was great. Um, and our first one comes from Jonathan Peck, and Jonathan Peck writes, "Dear John and Steve, I've been a fan of the show since last year when I started binging the podcast. Thank you. It's an Thank excellent you. thing to binge. Please don't purge it. That gets very messy, <laughs> Mike." My question ah. is, my question is this. What is your favorite ensemble in movies ever? My choices will be Avengers, Endgame, uh, JFK, Inception, Goodfellas, The Godfather, and Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights would be one of mine. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys for the amazing content. Uh, Sincerely, Jonathan Peck from Alexandria, uh, Virginia. And he's got a PS here too. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for the shout out and back to the future episode back in March. And I hope someday you will talk about non-Disney Pixar animated films in future episodes. Oh. I, there are several that I think are really good. And Absolutely, we will definitely do that, and we should. Movie ensemble, Sean. That's
1: a tough one, man. There's so many that jump to mind. Uh, Breakfast Club, which we did recently. I think that was what I was just going to say. Yeah, I think that's one that certainly is at the forefront of my mind all the time. Having just seen Blinded by the Light at an early press screening, uh, the director of the film, who also directed uh, Bend It Like Beckham, she purposely included an homage to mm. John Hughes's Breakfast Club during a musical sequence nice. in the movie, and so that made me that made it put it uh, all back in my head again. I think Pulp Fiction is a fantastic ensemble. You're like, why are you taking my <laughs> answers? I was going to say Reservoir Dogs, too. Okay, yeah, Reservoir Dogs is fantastic. Ocean's Eleven, the remake. Oh, yeah. That's a great... On- and Thirteen. Eleven and Thirteen are
0: fantastic ensemble movies that I love to pieces. Um, God, you took a whole bunch of I'm mine I'm sorry. Of- uh, the Big Chill is one of the classic oh, sort of right. ensembles. And uh, Silverado, a movie that we've oh, talked about doing lately, is just yeah. a fantastic ensemble. I was trying to think of ones where you kind of... Everyone kind of has their moment. Twelve Angry Men. Ooh, Another one. One yeah. of my favorite of our early episodes, Agreed. I think. Agreed. And, uh, of course, we've got the right stuff. Yes. And may I give you Armageddon. Oh, yes. A very
1: well-constructed uh, ensemble. Magnificent Seven. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, then we we've have also to say the that. Seven Samurai. Yes. Oh, yeah. Fantastic ensemble yeah. there. Even though n- n- us, we couldn't name maybe past two or three of them, they're still a fantastic yeah. ensemble. Yeah. I don't have to name them to like
0: them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember names very well, anyway. What about the Dirty Dozen? <laughs> oh, great one! Yeah. Right. Well, and then and then oh, the Great Escape. Yes, Great for Escape. One I need to revisit that. I know you I have a feeling you don't love it. You I, don't love mm, it as much. I
1: don't. I don't like find myself drawn to it. But there's a sequence, and I'm not. It's no spoilers. But there's a sequence in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood oh. that I saw uh, recently um, that evokes that, and uh-huh. I it made me want to revisit it. So I am when we're ready to do it on the Cinephiles. I'm excited
0: to revisit it for the. Cinephiles. So not only am I ready to do it, but I have a uh, so uh, you know I listen to Audible obsessively, sure, 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 sure. and Audible has sales, and every once in a while a book will come up and it's three dollars, and I'll just go well I'm interested in that, mm-hmm. and I bought one and I can't listen to it because it is the true story behind the Great Escape, and I decided like well I'm not going to listen to it until it's right before we record the episode right. because because otherwise I'd have to listen to it twice, so I have it it's sitting on my phone ready to listen to anytime you say you want to do the Great Escape I will listen to the book done and done. Be all I've right. Done. I think bridesmaids is another one too, just to kind of balance the oh, scales sure. a little bit. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Oh uh, yeah. You want to do the next question? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Let's see here. That was Jonathan Peck. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, Rodrigo. Rodrigo. Pichardo. I hope I'm saying that right. Hi, Stephen. John on oh, this guy has a young Marlon Brando as his profile pick. I love that. I'm a loyal fan and Patreon supporter. Thank you, Rodrigo, who's always wanted to ask you guys a question. I know in many episodes there's been talk about certain f- films being in your top five, in your number two slot, or absolutely without a doubt being your number one. But over the years, it's all become a blur to me. Since there's quite some time until your 150th episode, I was hoping you both can give it some serious thought. What is your top 10 favorite films of of all time, this is gonna be, it's not going to happen for me. I, I'll never yeah, come up with it. But this is a question I ask people regularly. Sometimes when I first meet them, or after some time has gone by, I feel something can be said about a person once you know this detail. It's very telling, and I also use it as a helpful guide to see a film that perhaps I've heard of but never seen. Since it's so important to this person, I'll automatically push up to the top of my watch list. These are your favorites for whatever reason it may be, whether it's nostalgia, sentimental reasons, makes you happy, cheers you up, or whatever. You have to be able to look at this list and say, "Yep, this is me. These are my absolute favorite movies." Thank you both again for this wonderful podcast. Sincerely, Rodrigo.
0: Well, the ones that I always can come up with mm-hmm. is my favorite, I always say, is Lawrence of Arabia. Sure. And Citizen Kane is right up in there mm-hmm. in the top two and with probably Godfather also being there. But here I'll give you an interesting different list. Sure. Movies that I reference the most is an instructor in film school. Oh, that's good. The number one is Jaws. Wow, yeah. I bring out Jaws to talk about music, to talk about character development, mm-hmm. to talk about shot selection. It's a whole bunch of reasons I bring out scenes from Jaws. Die Hard I bring out all the time. Mm-hmm. Godfather I bring out. Rear Window sometimes. Like those are those are the ones that come out a lot as I'm describing things in film school. Oh, and Doctor Strange Love is another one. I wish I loved that film the way you love it. I wish I loved it. It's one of those things, right? You had the right. film which did you uh, We just did we just recorded one where it's right? one of your all-time favorites. Yeah. You've already actually everyone's already listened to it, which is Last of the Mohicans. Last of the Mohicans. Which is one of your all-time favorites and I understand what's really good in it. Yeah. Don't love the movie.
1: Stay alive. Um for me it's tough because I have a top 10 show and Matt and I have saved that for a
0: possible live show down the road somewhere top, um, uh, top 10 in uh, maybe uh, Carnegie Hall
1: <laughs> yeah possibly in Carnegie Hall or if we get that 400 seater in London uh, at that music uh, the massive music concert hall we'll do it there but I will say this like Steve I'll give you my top 10 or I'll give you some of my top in my top 10 favorite films right. versus my top 10 films of all time. Um, there are some that cross over. Certainly, Lawrence of Arabia crosses over. Godfather Part Two crosses over. Seven Samurai crosses over. Oh, right. But I'll throw Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind in there. That's one of my top ten favorite films. Um, I'll throw in Jaws. Absolutely. I love Jaws two pieces. Um, let's see. What else can we do? Kane. What else? Citizen Kane certainly crosses over. Um yeah, I think those are. I think those are good for right now. Uh, anything more might get me in a, b- a bit of trouble as we go down the road. Uh, but some of my closet favorites are Major League. That's one of my cl- and Armageddon.
0: So that's closet. one. By the way, I was about to write because we talked about Major League when we did. Uh, uh uh, with K Cannon when yes. we did um, League of Their League Own. Of their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to write K to see if we could schedule Major League soon. I'll be down. I know you I are. I love Major League. Uh, this is from Sean Ogren. Mm-hmm. A question for the 150th episode, Monopoly of sp- Streaming Services. I don't know what Monopoly of Streaming Services means. We'll find out. Hi, John and Steve. My wife, my 12-year-old son, and I are big film lovers and have gotten hooked on your show. Well, thank you to the whole family. Yeah, Thank you so much for instilling even more love in us for the movies. Also, my wife and I are grads of FSU Theater, 96, and love hearing stories about your times there, John. Go Seminoles. Go Knowles. All right. My question is this. On your recent episode with Scott Vance you got to talking about the power of streaming services. Ah, that's what this mm. relates to. And how the upcoming Disney service is going to be a game changer. Do you feel there is a correlation between the streaming studios with their home distributions and what the studios had back in the 30s and 40s when they owned their own movie theaters? And do you see a possible breakup of their powers happen to the studio system? This is a very learned question. Agreed. Part of me thinks this could and should happen, but I would hate to see the departure of the great smaller films uh, they are putting out, which the modern studios are not. Thanks for considering my question, and please keep having fun on your podcast. Sean.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Uh, do I feel there's a correlation between the streaming studios with their home and what the studios had back in 30s and 40s and they on their own movie theaters? Yeah, I think you... I, I'm not sure because the streaming services are able to put out uh, uh, movies from multiple studios and multiple genres whereas those theaters were owned by those studios, so only those studios' films were allowed to be in those theaters. So I would say there's more choice in the Netflix situation versus in the theater. You're, you, you can actually go and see multiple movies at the same time versus in, a, in, a, in the old days, you could only see the movies when they put them out and only the movies that that particular studio did in that theater. Um, do you think the possible breakup of their powers happened to the studio? see a possible breakup of their powers that happened in the studio system? Uh, maybe, but I also, I think we're, as I've said many times on, on numerous podcasts and shows, I think we're moving to the place where uh, movies become a an event like a Broadway show
0: versus uh, what we see now. Um it's a really good question. I think they're I think they're similar and different. Like for me, what's similar is that we're definitely seeing the consolidation of power in a specific way, mm-hmm. particularly with a company like Disney that's very very obvious. And anytime there's a huge consolidation of power, then I definitely become concerned that independent voices are less likely to be heard yeah. and that other different um uh companies will have trouble competing in those spheres and do I think that means we're going to head to a breakup probably not and the reason is is because you have hugely powerful companies Netflix being one but now we have Disney and Apple and Google and all these other companies mm. with massive bankrolls all fighting against each other so the argument for a monopoly isn't as likely the thing the other thing that i think is different is that in the studio system the heads of the studios really controlled exactly what the content was yeah. whereas that was broken up because of the rise of the uh, power of actors and the power of agencies and now it, it doesn't – it's not like there's a uh, Louis B. Mayer who is in control – an Irving Thalberg in control of everything that gets made on the studio. What they're doing is they're hiring production companies that are doing those things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? For most of the projects. Yeah. So there's still a level of independence that I would say is different. But you know, anytime we get huge consolidation of power, I always worry that there's going to be a negative consequence to it. Yeah, that's why I think the streaming services
1: were born out of a necessity to have these other smaller, independent, more mature films, more mature themes films that no longer have the taste levels that they used to have, like the audience used to have a higher taste level for them. I don't think they have them at that level in a the theater anymore. They can enjoy them at their homes. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, John, you want to get next yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a cinephile it's from Kevin Williams, I believe. Uh, if you don't feel like reading all of this email, I totally understand. I wanted to give you a question right up top that I thought uh, would be fun to answer. Oh, this is a massively long email. My lord. Uh, if you could have any guests for the show, live. Dead or fictional Who would it be Why and what movie Do you think They would pick Uh, Let me try to see Read some of his email Because it's long Hey John and Steve Congratulations on 150 episodes This is by far My favorite podcast Thank you Thank you The depth of film analysis Paired with the entertainment Of your banter Make it something I look forward to every week We do have nice banter We do I've learned so much About my favorite films And I've also watched films I wouldn't have otherwise watched Just so I can hear Another episode of your show I watched Chaplin's Modern Times Thinking it would be A task to get through Since I had never seen A mostly silent film before and was shocked at how much I enjoyed it. I have now seen nearly all of Chaplin's feature length films. Wow, as that's well as, great! We should get some credit for that, as well as the R.D.J. film, due to an obsession that grew all because of the cinephiles. With this in mind, I was wondering if there was a film or even a film genre that you begrudgingly watched because of a recommendation that you surprisingly love so much that it made you want to consume anything similar. Thank you so much for all your hard work. I know putting the show out on a weekly basis can be time consuming, especially with the seamless editing in every episode. Thanks to Steve. Thank you. That feature of the show makes me feel I am enjoying the movie right along. With you, I've listened to your Big Lebowski episode several times because of this. Finally, I wanted to give you a list of additional questions. Uh, we're not going to answer any of those. Sorry for the long email, but when I heard you were doing this special, I put a lot of thought into the questions and what I wanted to say. The Cinephiles means a lot to me, and I didn't want to miss the chance to pick your brains. Thanks again. If I forgot to say my name, it's Kevin Williams from Nashville, Tennessee, but originally from Virginia, like John. Nice.
0: Uh, all right, Steve. Which one do you want to answer? Um, well, uh, let's see. Uh, you know, I looked down on his other list of questions mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. says, Steve, what is your dream film to direct? I have several scripts of mine that I would like to direct. I have a sci-fi post-apocalyptic movie and a indie drama. So, Kevin, if you've got some funding and you want to pay for me to
2: direct those films,
0: <laughs> I've been wanting to do them for a long time. That's uh, awesome. If we can have any guest on the show, living or dead, there's such a long list. Yeah. One of the things I've wanted – we've talked about is like I want to – I want to get interesting people that are not necessarily film people. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of these are maybe out of our level, but I, Neil DeGrasse Tyson, yeah. that would be a great guest on the show. Sure. You mm-hmm. know, uh, Barack Obama, let's have him oh, on the show. Oh my god, it'd be great to have Barack Obama. On I show. mean, there's so many people who are intelligent and articulate and also I happen to know are interested in pop culture mm-hmm. that I would love to have those people on the phone. One of the ones was who passed away, which was two, two food people that passed away, mm-hmm. Anthony Bourdain yeah. and Jonathan Gold, who was the local film uh, food critic in Los Angeles, uh, and those would be just fascinating people to have on to talk about movies.
1: Yeah, agreed. I, I have a great Anthony Bourdain story I can tell you off mic, but um, for me, the number one choice is uh, Wells Orson oh, yeah. Wells. Absolutely, there's no one else I would rather do a podcast with um, than Orson Wells in terms of having him as a guest. To talk about film, to back to banter with him, to get him upset, to fight, to agree with him, to have a great hearty laugh, and to hear his stories about these films that I so love and admire and revere. Within the
0: film world, Martin Scorsese would be like an unbelievable – absolutely. I mean the the only thing is is that you and I would just probably have to sit back because he would would be able to tell you every single thing about these films because he analyzes them so minutely. Yeah. But (laughs) I'd like to go toe-to-toe with him. Do you think we could handle having Quentin Tarantino on the show? I think we could. We've had Mance on the show, for
1: God's <laughs> sake. The energy That's is the same. Point. uh fair point. It's just, uh, you know, I, yeah, I would love to have Quentin on the
0: show. It'd be great. He's fantastic. Um, John, is there a uh, a film or film genre that you begrudgingly watched because of a rec- recommendation that you surprisingly love so much that it made you want to consume something similar?
1: I, I don't know. I've gone into wormholes. Like, Werner Herzog is a wormhole. That's a weird wormhole. So I would say that I saw a documentary on Werner Werner Herzog in the early 2000s on IFC, back when IFC showed a bunch of film documentaries. Um, It was called My Best Fiend, which is his his film about uh, being friends with Klaus Kinski and shooting him a number of films. I had never seen anything of his work, of Herzog's work. And then I found myself, rent back when you could rent VHSs, I was renting Fitzcarraldo. I was renting... uh, Wojciech, I was renting Nosferatu, his remake, or Vampire, or whatever it's called, his, his remake of Nosferatu. I consumed everything that Werner did. Um, and then I subsequently have become a fan of his documentaries. I go and see every one of his documentaries in the theater, sometimes with our friend Jonathan Blue, uh, Ver, a fellow Herzog fan. Um, and so that's what I would
0: say. Not genre necessarily, but certainly director <clears throat> in that way. I certainly haven't discovered a genre. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. But but there are, there are definitely people like I remember when I first I had seen a few John Houston movies, but then oh, yeah. when I started I kind of went down the rabbit hole and I yeah. saw Night of the Iguana and I saw, you know, all these ones that I'd never heard of. I'm like, oh my God, John John Houston, to me he might be the most modern of the classic directors. Mm-hmm. Like he has such a almost seventies sensibility in yeah. his fifties films. So I definitely went down rabbit holes like that. There are other movies where like I uh got I didn't think Guardians of the Galaxy was going to be that good. <laughs> then I went to yeah, I figured, oh, it's going to be fun. And I went right. to it. And it was like, oh, my God. This is one of the great movies ever. Uh, agreed. Yeah. That's another good ensemble. Um, oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, this next one is from Carlin Canales I okay. believe question for three years hey guys so I recently listened to the Willy Wonka episode I like that episode a That's lot it was good it was great yeah it was great we have to have him back on I absolutely know about it. and was surprised to find out that John had never seen the movie before so that mean, made me wonder what is the one movie that people would be extremely surprised to hear that either of you haven't seen and why haven't you seen it yet thanks for all your hard work love you guys mm. Well, thank you so from, for, it's going to be easy to answer for me okay all movies in the last 10 years I probably haven't seen it. Whoa, what? I mean, the last since my son was born, was so eight years. Okay, like just I, I just have missed like the. There was a time where I had seen every Oscar nomination. Right, that's not true in the last eight. years. You'd be in trouble in the Shimoda. Oh no, I. Uh, th- that's why I get killed. <laughs> um, the the so there's so many movies of the last eight, eight or nine years I haven't seen. Okay, yeah. Uh, this is a tougher one for me you see
1: everything yeah I try to see everything although in the last year or so it's been harder even though I work at Collider it's been harder because of my workload here and the podcasts outside and having my girlfriend like let me tell you something my girlfriend coming into life has been a blessing but it also is at times difficult to go and see films because all I want to do is go home and hang out with my girl sure. and watch stuff her BBC stuff or her British stuff because I just love being around her and she says like you can go see movies you can go do Whatever, but it means time away from her and I'm telling you
0: I just don't like taking time away from her I love being around her. I don't my telling you this might be a surprise. There is a limited number of hours in the day. <laughs> there really is. This is a, you know, Time is a zero-sum game, and when you add a new element, you yeah. take away many hours. <laughs> yeah. You know, So like between having a kid and I'm married, and then – I mean the cinephiles has made me dig deep on mm-hmm. one film a week. Yeah, But that's – if I spent six hours or eight hours researching the film, well, that's three other movies I didn't watch probably. Right, you know? right. Um, there are films I refuse
1: to watch. Maybe I can answer it that way. I refuse oh. to watch Out of Africa because it costs color purple an Oscar and I refuse to watch How Green Was My Valley because it took that Oscar away from, from Citizen Kane in my opinion total reaction
0: I would never ever have these are unrelated things by the way yeah. How Green Was My Valley is really good I, yeah no you told me all the time yeah. but I refuse to watch it okay, because I don't want what it. happened to Citizen Kane uh,
1: but yeah and I've never seen Easy Rider which a lot of people love but I've never seen it so. oh you've never seen it no I
0: don't love it does that count I guess it counts sure no nope, be- that is a very important film it in is. film history and the best years of our lives I've never seen either uh, I've never seen that either yeah Maybe we should – it's supposed to be great. Maybe we should do best years of our lives when both of us haven't seen it. Maybe that's a separate podcast. (laughs) Separate series – start a whole new podcast called It's Supposed to Be Great. Do you really have time
1: for another (laughs) podcast, John? Not if I want to keep my relationship. Uh, All right. That was Carlin Canales. Thank you so much for that question. Laura Deverson, uh, also a fan of the top 10. Thank you, Laura. Hi, gentlemen. Congratulations on this amazing and well-deserved milestone. There are so many episodes I revisit on a regular basis. I tell you, that's a great compliment. It really is would want to re- listen to us again uh, it's fantastic I particularly love the Civil War episodes that might be, that might be the greatest thing we've ever done I, I, I'm really proud of those yeah you should be you did a great job on those too you too I, I love thank you I love storytelling in all its forms and I get my story fixed from varied sources is there a novel graphic novel biography comic series play anthology or true story that you think is ripe to be turned into a film or television series I am asking in view of the recent great adaptations like Good Omens American Gods Lamb's of of God and the Handmaid's Tale. Cheeky follow up question. Are there any properties in any medium that you think should never be adapted? Thanks for taking my question. Congratulations once again for this great achievement. All the best, Laura from
0: Sydney, Australia. I'll tell you one that occurs to me. Okay. Because there's so many things that I love to have been done. Yeah. You know, there was a time that I wanted to direct Watchmen. You know, like, it's right, yeah. been done. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's what, about to be done again in a weird way. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, one that, uh, a comic book that I always love that I think would make a great TV show was The Question. Oh, yeah. I love The Question in the late 80s written by Denny O'Neill. And the artist was, uh, just John Blanket His name, mm-hmm. read him over and over again. It's a hard-boiled detective with a kind of messed-up lead character yeah. in a sort of superhero but not powered world. I think that would make a great like Netflix dark series. It was a great time to collect The Question at that
1: time, too, because The Shadow was coming back as well. Right. So both of them at the same time was were so great to pick up. And I became a Spectre fan. And kind of because I felt like those three characters really are connected in some way and those they were fun to read at that time right. in the 90s right they were so great late 80s early 90s um, I would say for me one of my favorite authors is Andrew Vakas which a lot of people don't know I haven't read Andrew Vakas yeah at all. it's V A C H S S. his wife is I don't know if she still is but while he was writing books she was the assistant prosecutor for uh, sex crimes in New York and so he had Access to all these case files and all This stuff going on and he created This character called Burke who is A A a, a private detective, but he's a criminal. So he people come to him with like, I need you to s- save this child or I need you to save this woman from this situation. And it's always a very complex uh, situation. He ends up out in rich areas, out in poor areas, playing uh, certain characters to try to get to the source of what who the villain is in each one of these stories. Uh, he has a great ensemble of characters who are his friends who help him out. There's an Asian lady named Mom who runs a Chinese restaurant and she feeds him, but the Chinese restaurant is a front for a money that they do gambling-wise and she always tells people that they're closed unless they're doing gambling stuff. He has a friend called the professor who is a diminutive black guy who has been on the street for multiple decades and help is kind of a pseudo-father figure to him and helps him through situations. All of the, these are phenomenal books to read. Uh, if you haven't – if you like hard-boiled stuff from the underbelly of New York, This stuff I would love to see as a series on Netflix or HBO
0: or Showtime that really shows you the grittiness of those characters. The other one – you've heard me talk about over and Mm -hmm. over again, but the Master and Commander books, which David Lean – or David Lean – what's his name? Peter Weir made made the one adaptation of – it's like that would actually be far better as a series because it's 21 books of which you see these characters over – you know, twenty years of their lives yeah. and they're much more episodic than they are kind of big stories. Unfortunately, it would be so expensive yeah. to do that kind of a thing as a series. She also asked if there's any properties that shouldn't be adapted. I'm hesitant to say that that there is mm. mostly because there are things that have been adapted which I had thought were not adaptable. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Handmaid's Tale is one, which is a book that I like. I, I think – I felt it was more important than a book that – it's not a likable book. right? Um And seeing what they did with it is just remarkable. Yeah. I mean – and so I hesitate to say things shouldn't be adapted. There are certainly things that I think are dated and mm. not well-suited to film, mm-hmm. but not necessarily ones I wouldn't adapt.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I hesitate to say anything shouldn't be adapted. I think uh, over the last few years, I've been proven wrong a number of times on things that shouldn't be adapted and were and came out to be really great. Uh, So I would be remiss to... well, I would be – I don't know what the word is. I guess I can't find it right now. But I would be hesitant. That's the number one word, hesitant, to say anything should not be adapted because um, no matter what gets adapted. Like sam I
0: never thought Man could get adapted, but right. now it's getting there done. So we'll see. By the way, isn't not finding the word when you're recording on the podcast like the worst mm. thing in the world? Th- there are times where I'm editing and I hear I use the wrong word or said the wrong thing or totally slurred or misspoke, like said the wrong character. did the thing. I'm just sitting there going, damn it. And like if I can take it out yeah. and fix it, I will. But there's sometimes where it's like in the flow of the cons- – snow, I just – here is a stupid thing I said and I have to let it stay in the damn <laughs> podcast. Drives me nuts. I imagine so. Um, this one from Matthew Kearns. Uh, Hi, John and Steve. Thank you for the 150th episode of The Cinephiles. This podcast is fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Matthew. Thank you, Matthew. And it's inspired me to create my own. Oh, congratulations on your podcast. Put, put, to, put it up on our Facebook page or something. He's been asking me to come on and do Armageddon with him. I won't do it. Good. <laughs> we have done the definitive yeah, we have. episode on Armageddon. <laughs> uh, my question is, if you could have one filmmaker on the show, who could, who could it be? And what film of theirs would you talk about? Ooh. We, we already said Orson Welles, obviously. Yeah, but alive. I would take Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, that would be great. And I would love to talk about there will be blood for like six hours um, Well, that would break one of our fundamental rules, which is oh the 10-year thing No, not the 10-year. Okay. Thing. No, no that we don't we'll people talk about, talk his about his own their films. own work Right, right, right But we you know, we can still we can she we suspended for this sheet Yeah, um, you know, who I would think would be great to have on to talk about a movie that he loved not necessarily his own films mm. is Ron Howard Oh, yeah. I think he would be because he is a down to, or he's, he's one of the filmmakers. I don't think he's the greatest filmmaker mm-hmm. in the history of Hollywood, but he's one of the filmmakers that I teach in my classes of like, you actually can be a nice, guy who's well organized and a great craftsman who's made many really really good films yeah you know yeah. I would throw Fincher in there as well to oh, talk he'd be about fast Zodiac, Zodiac. Yeah. yeah I would love them talking
1: about Zodiac uh, that was Matthew thank you Matthew Henrik Winterland hey there Stephen and John Henrik here a huge fan of the show from Sweden ah. uh, I don't know the greeting in Sweden uh, I've got two questions for you guys in case one of them has already gotten answered what are some of your favorite movies that you don't think you'll ever talk about on the show uh, and do you think Americans will become more or less accepting of subtitles and films as time goes on relating to this? What are some of your favorite movies that aren't in English that you haven't already discussed on the show? Thanks in advance. Okay.
0: Um, there is a list of movies that probably will never be on the show. Yeah. Um, some, one that we really talked about that I still think is a great film, but now I just can't see my way to doing it. And that's animal house. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it, troubling. It's a troubling movie. And mm. I, and I, and I want to say this really clearly. I think it is a great movie. Sure. I think it is really funny. I think it is groundbreaking and I think it is – got a lot of stuff in it that I just don't know how I can give voice to on the pod. I, I, yeah. And I've struggled with it because there was – we I, I did some research on it and we had talked about it. and I don't know if there's a way to do it. Yeah. You know? well, and we even thought of who a guest would be yep. to
1: be on yep. it. Um, the other side of that coin for me is I know it broke my heart uh, that Steve refuses to do this one, I think. Uh, Caddyshack he's not he's not one no, of his no I wouldn't i do it I
0: don't it's, it's funny I think Animal House is a better movie okay but I do. And Caddyshack doesn't have the troubling things that Animal House has. It doesn't. No. So, no, you want to do Caddyshack. Okay. I'll do okay. It. Unless you don't like poop in the water, it doesn't I am have troubling things. Not offended by a person <laughs> munching on a baby Ruth in a pool. There you go. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, Revenge I, of the Nerds. I, yeah. I don't think we'll ever do Revenge of the Nerds, even though we love that movie. Um, oh, I do, actually.
1: I I, I I loved it at the time. I haven't watched it in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see that. Like, uh, Zoro the Gay Blade will never do, and I love Zorro the Gay Blade to pieces. <laughs> um, um, or Love at First Bite, those two classic 80s back-to-back movies from George Hamilton. I watched Hamilton. both of
0: those over
1: and over again. I have no memory of either. <laughs> what? Because oh. I haven't watched them since the 80s. I have both on DVD. That's awesome. <laughs> um, subtitles and films, I don't think so. I think what's happening now is even more so people are doubling down on the America thing. Not to get too political, but it feels like people like are pushing against foreign stuff more and more nowadays. And I think that is bleeding into film, uh, unfortunately. I don't see um, – foreign films as revered or as talked about as I used to in the days maybe even ten years ago
0: or five, ten years ago. You could talk about those films all the time. Yeah, I don't see, I don't see Americans getting any better about this. Mm. There's tons of movies. Obviously, we talked about Seven Samurai and Kurosawa. Yeah. there's um, I love Rules of the Game, genre noir. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, there's uh, Rome, Open City, and Italian neorealism. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly films like Eisenstein and Battleship Potemkin are, are our big cinephile – I probably like Ivan the Terrible better okay. as a movie. But they're big cinephile films. Well, actually, that one's not subtitled. It's silent. It's silent, right? Yeah. Right, right. Um, uh, neither you or I are huge French New Wave people. No, I or don't you like – I'm sorry. You love Godard. I love
1: Godard. Yeah. I do not like Truffaut. I don't like 400 Blows. I don't I like don't Jules and Jim. Gym. Gym. Um, because
0: you really want to do Breathless sometimes. I do. I yeah. love Breathless. I haven't seen be- it since pieces, school.
1: Really? I will yeah. lend you, copy.
0: So there's a lot of reasons. <laughs> I think we're uncovering a lot of Hot, things to have conflicts about. Yeah, to, to yeah, realize.
1: yeah. Well, that's that's how it goes. That's the fun of
0: it. Like, what, if you don't a like movie to I like, then we're in <laughs> deep trouble.
1: I, I would also put in, like I've said, Les Maton du Monde the, all the mornings of the world. Find that French film. It's a fantastic film with Jean Depardieu. Cyrano de Bergerac as well. Oh, sure. That we yeah. should do. It's
0: fantastic. Yeah. Uh, this is from Tyler Spots. Okay. John and Steve, congrats on reaching 150 episodes. Thank you. I've really enjoyed listening to this podcast and learning about tons of different films that I'm sure I wouldn't have seen otherwise. My question is: What are some movies that you really enjoy but are hesitant to do an episode on due to movies' length content? I think we kind of just answered this. Mm. Uh, thanks for answering my question and for excellent contact you provided each week. Um, due to movie I, length. Mm. I don't think there's. I mean, we just did the Civil War, yeah, which is eleven hours. I don't think we're bothered by length. Um, I think there are certain content things that we talked about mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. May, maybe make it difficult. There are some movies I felt like would make better episodes than other movies, mm-hmm. you know, because. Because when the when the episodes are really good, in my opinion, is yeah. when our discussion or discussion with the guests is really free. There's a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. Like where the episode doesn't feel as good to me is where it's just sort of this happened and then this happened. I don't like listening to the sound of my voice too much <laughs> describing the movie. Right. That's where it doesn't feel so good. So there's somewhere I kind of go like, well, w- what are we going to talk about? Yeah, not that I don't like the movie, but what will we talk about?
1: You know. Mm-hmm. I guess looking at a movie's length is is interesting as well. But I think we've we've done well at tackling long yeah. movies. We did Giants. Giant, we, we Lawrence of Arabia, Arabia, Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur, yeah. So it's all a matter of like is the length worth it to cover the movie and do a good episode on – That's really the number one thing. Content-wise, yeah, there are things we're not going to do, like we're not going to do Birth of a Nation, or we're not going to do any number of things that are kind of troubling in that way. Um, That's for sure. Uh, I don't know if there's another reason other than, yeah, those seem to be the only reasons is content, I think, at the end of the day for us. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, All right. Thank you, Tyler, for that question. Uh, What are we moving on to? That is Jason Staples. Yeah. Hi. I am in the beginning stages of putting together a podcast of my own. Oh, well, congratulations.
0: Everyone's making a podcast.
1: Uh, what do you know? Uh, I will be critiquing and analyzing. Oh, I like this a very profound state. I will be critiquing and analyzing indie cinema and movies that get passed over. I am a big fan of your podcast and how in depth the both of you are. How do the both of you study a movie while watching it? What is the process for note taking? Any advice for a future film podcaster? Ooh. Um.
0: <clears throat> so first of all, I think it's practice. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think like. Um, I've gotten really good at being able to watch the movie and think about the movie mm-hmm. at the same time and type. Um so for me, like I'm ty- when I'm watching a film for the podcast, I'm typing constantly. Yeah. You know, it's a good thing I took that touch typing class in high school. That was like a really valuable thing. Um I think – but I, you know what I think helped was both of us did that DVD quality control job where you yes. had to not get sucked into the movie but really be watching for seeing things. Mm-hmm. And that – you know, I, I think now that we've been doing this for three years, it's just very natural to me to be kind of noting the camera angles or noting mm-hmm. themes or noting important lines mm-hmm. or color control or music or things that are happening in the film when watching the film. So I just think doing it a lot. Yeah, I think for me it's um, – I've always – like kind of had a propensity to analyze films, so it's sure. always just
1: a natural instinct. I think what Steve uh, uh, talks about is is the way to do it as well. It's just practice and honing, honing it so that you can do it quickly. So for me, when I watch a movie before we do it for the show, I watch it as close to the recording of the show as possible, so it's as fresh in my mind as possible. And as I'm watching it, I'm letting, uh, what do the the athletes say? I let the game come to me. I'm letting the film come to me and seeing where, uh, what it's trying to say, seeing themes, seeing new ways to look at it, new ways to explore it. And uh, being uh, doing a job that I do like at Collider, being analytical naturally, it helps to do that. And Steve going beat by beat through the movie, it helps me to remember what the things I want to talk about as we go along. So I never write anything down. It's always in my mind for memory, but uh, when we go, the process that we go through with Cinephiles, it brings up that memory of talking about a certain thing. I rarely walk away from an episode going, "Oh, I should have said this."
0: Well, the, I think, and this is why one of the one of the things I g- can give you as a piece of advice, Jason. Oh yeah, is have a good partner because yeah. John and I do different stuff. Yes, you know, so, so mine is like kind of methodical and painstaking and building out my notes and organizing my mm-hmm. thoughts over a period of time. John's more watch it right before be really fresh and emotionally reactive and ready, Mm -hmm. you know, and have sort of those thoughts to kind of Come in, and that's why we complement each other yep. really well in terms of doing it. Yep. Um, the, the, the big thing I say so I have, you know, because I don't know why teaching's coming up so often, but but I have students and they have to present a scene in class, and so frequently they'll put their clip, uh, the, a, a film that they like, they'll put it up there and they'll say, okay, so here's this film that I'm presenting, and I'm kind of like, well, what do you think about it? And like, well, it's really good. <laughs> you know, I'm like, no, you need to say more. So my other advice to Jason, oh, it's like really good. <laughs> is to say, it's so funny they all do the same. They'll do the same thing. Ends. They'll say like the one thing they've thought of to say, and yeah. then they'll kind of look over at me, sort of awkwardly, and, and then kind of shrug and say, "So, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like is that it and like yeah I guess so oh. I'm like yeah and this happens all the time so That's Jason the big thing is you should have something to say yes what is it that you bring to the film mm-hmm. what is it that you've thought about how do you analyze why do you think this film is important or groundbreaking or interesting or or useful or dr- brings attention mm-hmm. to some issue or idea or emotion if you don't have those things to say you don't have a podcast yeah, and I've heard from a number of people who started doing the podcast oh other people have said it other
1: people have done it and they're afraid to read other reviews because they're afraid that their ideas will pop up in those reviews and they're not original. No, those reviews validate that you are looking at the film correctly. And so that's a positive and use that to motivate you to get even deeper and explore a certain way because no one is bringing what Jason brings to the review of a film or the, uh, because of Jason's own experience. So that's what – Steve's absolutely right. Bring your own voice to the situation.
0: That's going to make you stand out. This is from me or you. Uh, You. Okay. This is from uh, Ryan Lieb. And he says, hello, Stephen John. Huge fan of the show. What do you think qualifies as an epic? What films, if any, from the past 10 years would you consider epic? And do you think the art of the epic film is dying? (sighs) You had a strong reaction to that. Question. Yeah, because like
1: uh, Matt and I when we did our top 10 epic films. We battled over what was an epic and what isn't. I used to not think Braveheart was an epic, but I've come around on it and think it is an epic. Well, do you have a definition of what an epic is? It has to feel like the definition of the word, which is epic, monumental, large, massive canvas. It has to feel like and it's saying something big about our human condition or about the story.
0: Um, David Lean, when we did uh, Lawrence, had hmm. a quote that he said, an epic was defined by mixing the, the big with the personal. Yes. It's the wide shot and the close-up. And, and for me, Lawrence of Arabia is the archetypal epic. Yep. We're talking about big themes. Big landscapes, big people, big film, lots of huge stuff going on and we're telling a very personal story Mm -hmm. about a person. And so for me, Braveheart totally fits into that. Bridge on the River Choir fits into that. Um, Ben-Hur obviously is one of the archetypal versions Mm -hmm. of an epic. Spartacus. Spartacus totally. Gladiator kind of comes close. You can argue it's an epic. Yeah, you can absolutely argue it's an epic. So, it so, feels more personal so than large. It's going to be a long movie. Yes. It's going to have a big scope in terms of what we see and the mm-hmm. the, the movements of it. Yeah, and going to have a personal story. Is the is the art of the epic dying? I don't see a lot of them being made. No. I don't think people are the, making that the kind of movie. money and the time is very difficult.
1: Uh, epics, you know, uh, but look at something like uh, uh, I would argue Avengers Endgame or Avengers Infinity War. You can make a case, yeah. that those films could be considered epics because again, personal story amongst a larger backdrop with the galaxy and uh, foreign invaders from you know other planets, things of that nature. It makes it large, and the concepts are large, especially Endgame. And so, I think there are. Epics, It's just very, very rare because I also think there aren't directors who are willing to create epics. I think Denis Villeneuve is the closest thing we have to an epic director, but he has yet to direct an incredible epic, even though Blade Runner 2049 could qualify if it had just a little bit of extra
0: something else in it. I think it could have been considered an epic. I I think – so and again, this is where we get into like, well, what's our definition? And right, does it really right. fit? But to me, an epic is not an action film. Oh, okay. It can have action in it. Braveheart has action, <laughs> in it. certainly. But you don't go to so. And this is the thing: Braveheart is not about the thrill of of the battle. Right. It has battles. Right. Like the the movie doesn't climax with a battle between you know uh, uh-huh. William Wallace and a bad guy. The movie. Actually, the final battle. It's like forty minutes later that the movie ends. Yeah, you know, Lawrence of Arabia has battles. Ben Hur has the amazing chariot scene, but Ben Hur is not about the action. Right. Ben Hur is about something else. That's what. That's to me why I wouldn't put Endgame. While it's certainly an epic canvas, yeah. and it has epic themes going on, it's still a action movie, superhero movie. I would fight back on that so hard because it's a. I think it's PTSD and mental health and all no, of that. You're instead. right. I, perfectly good argument. You know, good argument. So, yeah. so certainly I wouldn't fight. We could go both ways. Part,
1: yeah. okay. <laughs> All right. Jeremy Creighton's our next one. Uh, he says, hi, guys. Long time fan here. A while back, I asked Steve if he ever saw the movie in the subject line that is Once Upon a Time in
0: America, and he had not. I'm wondering if you ever got around to it and John's thoughts on the film. I could have used this as my answer to the earlier question of movies <laughs> that you'd be surprised I haven't seen. I've still not seen it. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I've seen scenes from it, yeah. but no, I've never seen the movie. Here's what I'll say. I've seen the film multiple times.
1: And this is Sergio Leone. Right. right? So you expect something incredible from this man because of that trilogy. Um, However – I would argue and Once Upon a Time in the West, which is phenomenal. But I would argue that this film doesn't quite get there overall. I think at times it's overlong. I think James Woods and Robert De Niro don't have the chemistry that the old school uh, actors had um, to convey that. I also think the rape scene with Elizabeth McGovern is very uncomfortable. Um, And so the film to me… Although it is about these two friends that end up in this tragic way with a mysterious possible death, um, it I think overall the film do, isn't as epic you could say uh, or as great as some of the best gangster films there are right. out there.
0: I have no comment. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, this is from Aaron Kilberg. Uh, he says, "When looking back at the films discussed on the podcast, what do John and Steve feel is the most underrated or underappreciated performance mm. by an actor or actress?" Um, that's incredibly difficult. I don't have one. That's I have one, but it's not one we've done on the podcast. Okay, although I would do it. Yeah, is Mr. T in Rocky Three? <laughs> I that's believe great. that is a fantastic performance. And it never gets the respect that it deserves. I think that's phenomenal. And I think that's absolutely a fantastic
1: uh, argument to make uh, because – he is scary as hell in that movie. Terrifying. He is Mike Tyson before Mike Tyson. Oh, yeah. And sca- and like and you believe every second of every moment that he is on screen yeah. that he will tear
0: Stallone's head off. Yeah. Absolutely horrifying. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's a fantastic point. Um, I don't know if there's been an underrated or underappreciated performance off the top of my head um, from the episodes we've done. Uh, yeah. Nothing leaps to mind necessarily. Uh, maybe um, – In Giant, uh, Rock Hudson's sister. I think Mm. she is so fantastic in that role. And although she was nominated for it, no one rarely speaks about her anymore. You know, Cambridge? Is that
0: Yeah, Mercedes McCambridge. Mercedes McCambridge. McCambridge. Um, uh, This is from Florian. Oh, no. Is this your turn? I think so, yeah. It's your turn. That's all right. Hey, Stephen John, I'd love to know how many
1: movies, approximately, you think you've seen in your life. Do you, don't do pretend like you don't know the number. All of us movie lovers have at least a close estimate, wink, smiley face. Thank you for asking answering my question. All the best from Vienna, Austria. Flo. Oh, Vienna, Austria. I was there for 10 days years ago. had a beautiful romance in 1998. I love Vienna, Austria. Saw Big Lebowski there. <laughs> Saw Big Lebowski
0: with a beer in my hand in an alley. It was fantastic. Um. Don't pretend I don't have this number in all movie. I don't have this number, Flo. I really don't. (laughs) I have no way of no. I I have a bet. Maybe can make a better estimate on books I've read than than movies. It would um, take me at least three days to figure out the number of how many movies I've seen. I mean, I, I mean, not, yeah, I have no idea. H- yeah. Hundreds of them. You'd start at the AFI and then go from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I it's it's over a thousand movies. I, it's probably over two thousand, but I don't really know. Yeah, um, and the yeah. number keeps uh, growing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, All right. Uh, this is from Samantha Varela, mm-hmm. and this is a really long one. Okay. Holy shit. Okay. Hey guys, my name is Samantha and I love 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 your podcast. Well, we thank 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 you. <laughs> I just had finished the am- Amadeus episode that goes way back to the beginning mm-hmm. and I don't remember which one of you said that your love for your film began with your father. That's you. That John. was me. Yeah, yeah. but I just wanted to say I am exactly the same way. My father actually loves classical music and he uh, he and I watch this film every time I go home to visit. It's become a tradition. Just wanted you to know that love of the f- of film hasn't died with the millennials. I'm 23 and absolutely love cinema and and analyzing it. <laughs> Fantastic! That's That's great. great. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love that we are in a world where our parents can share that passion with their children, and it seems to continue and hope it continues through every generation. Please continue doing this podcast. It is fun, innovative, and so diligent. I truly love and hope you continue. Anyways, I have some questions in my short time of listening to the podcast. Okay. Mm -hmm. One, I just listened to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wow. Okay. That's the very first (laughs) podcast. Uh, And talked about the great movies of Hollywood that actually ruined cinema. Uh, You've been I, doing that since the first episode. First episode, fantastic. Yeah. If I if I remember correctly, we got Raiders of Lost Ark, Star Wars Jedi, and I can't remember the last one. Uh, Might have been Die Hard back then, but we've since added Silence of the Lambs, yeah. Mad Max, Road Warrior. Um, uh, but I want uh, to know what qualifies you guys uh, qualities you actually dislike about all these popular films that everyone goes to see today and then why do you think people are ignoring the independent films that are actually much better than the more popular ones? Um, you want to start with that one
1: uh, we can um, and just to clarify she said Jaws not Jedi So I don't want that to be oh sorry a mistake for her end on her end um, uh, Here's what I'll say to you the qual. I'm not in that camp with Steve I don't think these films ruined Hollywood, so but that's I under- my, yeah, it's my right, category That's his and I understand his point of view thoroughly when you ask me why do I think people are ignoring independent films? I'll answer that um, I think uh, a majority of people just want to go get entertained now. They, they're they challenged by our world enough, by our world in the politics, in their trying to pay their bills, trying to deal with th- their own mental health, their mental distress, uh, relationships. I don't think people want to go to films anymore and see these independent films the way they did in the past because um, they just I don't think they want to sink their teeth into this stuff anymore because they deal with it in real
0: life. So here's what I think. I think in the Uh, beginning of the independent film movement, we had three networks or maybe four networks, and they were mainstream, and they they went to the kind of How to please everybody. Yep. And so the only place you could find an interesting story about a person who had been homeless, who had dealt with drug use, and post you know whatever it was, by an interesting visionary filmmaker, was to see an independent film. Right. Today, that role is really being taken by all of the you know peak television world. Mm-hmm. We're in. Mm-hmm. There's so many interesting, complicated, difficult, challenging things that people can stay home in their house to watch yeah. and the group you know all be in a room together while captain america fights that's what we go to a movie theater for yeah you know for the group experience not for the indie film yeah and so yeah. i that to me is what's what's killing it i agree um, uh, number two is there such a thing as a bad movie yes yeah. <laughs> that's easy i'm yeah. in no way a filmmaker just a great admirer of cinema and don't know nearly as much as i'd like to but i ask because every director has a different point of view and styles of film have changed so dramatically in the last 20 or 30 ish years that i don't like people uh, like talking to people about movies uh, there's just strictly saying that was a bad movie because I think every movie has its advantages and disadvantages. Some have more than others. Uh, but anyways, I'd really like to know what you guys think. Yeah,
1: please tell me what Jack and Jill's advantages were uh, from Adam Sandler. Then maybe you, we can have that discussion. Uh, I will say to you thoroughly, Samantha, I think there are films that are just bad movies. It doesn't mean that there aren't people who like them or, sh- or people should be uh, crucified for liking them. You have... Every- Right to like or, or dislike any film You you want but uh, Objectively are there any bad movies I would say there are but Of course it's a subjective medium So that's tough to say as an
0: absolute Um I definitely think they're Bad movies I do think one thing I learned When I was in film school is Oh bad movies are really hard to make. Yes. Because all movies are really hard to make. Mm-hmm. And so that bad movie, that movie that really didn't work might have had a director that really put their heart and soul yep. into it. And sometimes the alchemy can be, you can have a lot of ingredients of a good movie and it still doesn't turn out right. Yeah. It's really, really hard to make movies. So I don't like people just tearing down films you know, from the cheap seats. Right. But I still think they're bad movies. <laughs> We've got a bunch more questions. Should we just grab one? Sure. And then we'll move on. How about... Um, When looking for present-day films to go to the movie theater to see, do you watch the trailer beforehand or do you want to surprise yourself and just Google the summary and then go watch the it? Well, uh, Google the summary. Yeah. I would never Google the summary of anything. The synopsis, basically. No, and I, but I do watch trailers. Yeah.
1: I watch trailers all the time. Yeah. I, I love the art of the trailer. It's a, it's one of my I know there are people who don't, and I that yeah. my that blows my mind. To me, I love watching But once I see one trailer or two trailers, that's it. That's all I need. I don't like to see every trailer for yeah. one. One movie because it starts to bleed in and you start to see those that footage show up in the movie and it's not uh, authentic or, or uh, an authentic experience because you've already yeah. seen it before. So yeah, definitely trailers. Um, Alright, that was Samantha? Is that right? Yes. Okay, TJ Harden's next, right? <laughs> hey guys, been loving and listening to your podcast, or your show, for the last year and a half so when will you get back into movies before the 70s? Thanks. Oh. Um...
0: Soon, yes, soon. There, We've talked about Bridge on the River Kwai. That's before the seventies. We, we'll, we'll, yes, there are lots of them. They're on the list. <laughs> I'm all for it. You know, we do skew more towards more recent films. Yeah, and and, and you know, I, I, well, let me ask, let me ask our cinephiles out there: How are you guys just as enthusiastic about movies that are old, older movies that fewer of you have seen, mm-hmm. as you are by? big huge you know popular classics like the Star Wars movies or back to the future or things like that yeah um, put hit us up on our Facebook page or on Twitter um, I totally am happy to go back and do old more old movies I love the old movies yeah
1: have we done it on the waterfront yet
0: no I know it's one of your favorites we gotta yeah. do that soon okay um, this is from Hans Eskelton Eskelson mm-hmm. uh, thank you for being the best movie podcast Thank you Hans you're welcome you know <laughs> Uh, my <laughs> my question uh, is: What movies that you deem one of the best films in film history that you will never rewatch? For example, for me, Clockwork Orange is a very well executed film, but due to the grotesque scenes and content, I couldn't rewatch this film. Thanks again for allowing me to listen to gentlemen who love films like I do. Hmm. Okay so one that came up on the show I don't think it's one of the best movies in film history but I have no desire to ever watch Leaving Las Vegas again although oh. I think it's a really good film okay Cuckoo's Nest is really hard for me to watch it's actually a really fun movie uh, but when it gets hard One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest yeah.
1: yeah that's a very difficult film gets it's for real tough. For me to watch as well uh, I would argue that The Deer Hunter is very hard for me to watch yeah that I've, is
0: really hard I've only seen it twice in I, my entire life probably that's the same I've seen it twice yeah
1: and yeah. I'll probably watch it a third time when we do it for the show if we ever yeah. do it for the show But certainly that's one. One that uh, I don't run, and back, run back to and watch. I've seen Gone with the Wind once. Never, ever need to see that again. I don't like it. I don't like it either. I'm glad that we agree on that, and that will yeah. never be done on the show.
0: I, are there thing, again, I can appreciate things about sure. it. And, sure. And, and, sure. And I'm, not saying, I'm not suggesting we should do it. We've got plenty of other stuff to do. But mm-hmm. there's tons of film history that's really interesting about yeah. that movie, but I don't care about it. Schindler's List is another one. <laughs> fantastic film. I've only seen yeah. it twice. Me to, too. I, it really, Probably really two hard, or three
1: times. Really hard to go back and do that yeah. one,
0: in my opinion. I'm sure we'll do that on the show sometime, but it's going to be a really hard – that's going to be a tough week on me. We should get someone from one of the centers around town mm. who handles uh, – sure. who, you
1: know, who curates – I think we have a Holocaust museum in town. Yeah, it's like museum that. of tolerance. Exactly. Yeah. We, we should get someone as a guest for that. Uh, what's the other one? Oh, Sunset Boulevard. Sounds like I've I've never – I've seen it once and I don't run to see it again. It's not one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, All right. That was uh, Hans. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, Devon Lott is our next one. Uh, Off uh, – I guess up top. Happy 150th show to you, Steve and John. My question to you is what movie, past, present, or possibly future would best represent and describe you personally? (laughs) <laughs> Shaft <laughs> Great choice <laughs> no. Great choice I'm just talking about Steve Morris <laughs> Shut um. your mouth
0: <laughs> Oh Jesus Past, um. present, or future What defines my p- I, don't I don't know man Really? I, I really this, is, this is a hard question You don't have a, a film that like you find yourself in the most in the protagonist? Oh, there, there are definitely There have definitely been moments Uh Oh, well, we had one on the show, oh. uh, which was Broadcast News, where, uh, oh, yeah. where I was Albert Brooks <laughs> and you were um, William, Hurt. William Hurt. right. Um, I don't think I am entirely Albert Brooks, but there are elements of that in me, absolutely. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I think certainly. Um,
1: I don't know. Uh, it's, it has to be a redemption story. That's certainly my life. So... Um, there's not a film where I watch myself and I go, yeah, I can feel that that's me necessarily, but certainly I get inspired by films like, oh! I would thoroughly think, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's one of my favorites, is Last of the Mohicans. I absolutely see myself as him. Am I as cool as him? Hell no. But his instincts, his... You weren't raised by Chingachgook? I right? wasn't, but I, but I, the reverence I, I had for my own culture growing up versus you know, the situation, everything like that, certainly I see myself, um, in, uh, in, in, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis' character in, uh, in Last of
0: the Mohicans. Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Okay, so this is from uh, Ed Hotstadler. Yeah, Hostetter. Um There's a long one again. Sure. Uh, Dear Stephen John, since discovering the Cinephiles podcast about a year ago, I've thoroughly enjoyed, though not always agreed... (laughs) Roka your opinions and analysis of some great great films yeah fuck you the parenthetical Roka was not from me (laughs) no it wasn't it was in this email yeah my first first podcast was Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan with Scott Mance as your guest that is an important cinephiles landmark I think Uh, it's still my favorite cinephiles episode as a geek of a certain age born April 1968 hey I'm 68 too Mm -hmm. uh, I was right there with you on the syndicated series as a kid everything stopped at 5 o'clock so I could watch Star Trek on channel 12 in Portland in Oregon nice. I just came back from there oh yeah it's a great city yeah, isn't it? it is a nice city Starlog magazine and the whole uh, they won't kill Spock will they mm. anyway here's my question for your 150th episode it's a two-parter uh, question one what was your most pleasant surprise when seeing a movie for the first time what movie did you go in with low or no expectations and were genuinely surprised by how much you enjoyed it uh, mm. for him that was Pirates of the Caribbean mm. uh, makes sense okay um, what do you think Aladdin Oh, the recent one. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. I was so surprised at how much I enjoyed that movie. I went in waiting to hate it. Me too. Well, I had actually heard you on yeah. the on the Geek Bust Buddies. Everyone should be listening to the Geek Buddies. Thank you, Steve. I had heard you guys on it. And I I knew that, but still, the first ten minutes were really hard for me. Yeah, to like let go of. And then once I understood who Will Smith's genie was, and this wasn't going to be Robin Williams, I went oh. Yeah. I totally like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a totally enjoyable movie. Yeah. Uh, Uh, For me, I've told this story before, but coming down from working at a summer camp for a half day off, knowing absolutely nothing in 1988, going to a theater to see this actor who had been in one of my favorite TV shows, Moonlighting, and walking into an empty theater to see (laughs) Die Hard by myself is one of the greatest movie experiences of my life. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (coughs) Let's see. Question two. This is basically the opposite of question one. What was your most disappointing movie experience? What movie let you down when you had high expectations, perhaps based on a trailer or an actor or director involved in the project? Um, for me, that was Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. <coughs> sure thoroughly we, agree. Yeah, we all agree with that. He enjoyed Star Trek uh, Two, still the best. Star Trek Three, a big step down from Khan, but still enjoyable. Um to star trek 4 refreshing change of pace and possibly my second favorite trek film i was so up for star trek 5 where the trailer looked good and yeah, Shatner was directing but Nimoy had done so then so what and then he went to see it mm-hmm. uh anyway i look forward to seeing if my queries make the cut they did keep up the great work on the cinephiles and even though i'm not currently a patron uh, i can't help but suggest field of dreams for its 30th anniversary yeah i, I think that's definitely one yeah like we to need do. to do that uh not Uh, the kind of movie that gets made anymore and whatever happened to Phil Alden Robinson he did Field of Dreams and then Sneakers I like Sneakers a lot and and then not so much take care Uh, thank you he's from uh, Lincoln, California ooh he's close I don't know where Lincoln is (laughs) most disappointing film for me is so easy okay so it was in the middle of shooting The Assistants I had one night off Mm -hmm. I was so excited to see this movie it was the fourth in a series we had waited a long time for it and that was Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, yeah. It was the I love Raiders so much. I love the Indiana Jones series Mm -hmm. and this was (laughs) – probably my most disappointing experience. That's the only time I saw it. Yeah. And I remember going like, oh, because the opening's kind of okay. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, and you have the first shadow of Indiana Jones. You're like, this is going to be cool. And then he gets saved from a nuclear bomb in a refrigerator. And I was kind of <laughs> going, this could still be good. It's Come on, everybody. Right. It's going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to be all right. And then, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes into the movie, I was like, no, this is not going to be okay. This is terrible. It's a phenomenal movie that brings together
1: terrible performances from just just about everybody yeah. pisses away a great story of having Marion Ravenwood come back into Indy's life sure. with a child. What that's like? Kate Blanchett is cast in your movie as a Russian villain. Like all of it should have been fantastic, and it wasn't. Um, uh, most recently, Batman v Superman certainly was one hell of a disappointment. Having loved A Man of Steel yeah. uh, and having been in Hall H when they presented. It, having Harry Lennox read uh, panels from The Dark Knight Returns, uh, that uh, was so disappointing. But my number one, kind of like Steve, set aside an afternoon, excited, taking some time off, going into the theater, had seen the trailers, couldn't wait, sat in that movie. And when it was over, just what the fuck? Godfather Part 3. That film destroyed me, just destroyed me Uh, because I was like one and two. You bring Coppola back. We people were dying for a third one. What happened to Michael? And you make Michael this sorry about everything guy. And you made him, uh, you know, you you bowed to the pressures of the 90s to make this guy lovable. And the whole point of one and two was to make him not lovable, which you've said in multiple interviews. Why would you redeem him? Why? And then, you know, in nothing, Sophia has become a phenomenal director. Can't say anything negative about her ability as a director, but she was terrible in that movie, horribly miscast. Uh, and I thought it was vanity of, of ego, of, yeah. and ego of Coppola to do that. Um, and I just – and di- the whole Diane Keaton thing, like bringing her – why bring Kay back? All of it to just so didn't work and the opera thing and all of it. That being said though – the Pacino reaction at the end of the movie when the tragic oh, thing great. happens is one of the greatest acting moments I've ever seen from anybody ever. Um, so, and Garcia is great in the movie. Garcia yeah. is great in the movie. But so much of that movie was a massive disappointment uh, and heartbreaking to watch. Yep. Yep. All right. So that's, uh, that was Eric. Uh, he probably disagreed with my opinion. All right. Florian Kersey uh, is next. Hi, John and Steve. I came up with two questions for you. First, what is the movie from this decade
0: that you have watched the most? For me, because I, I haven't watched, as I said before, that yeah. many movies in Man, this decade, yeah. but for me, probably J.J. Uh, Abrams' Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I've watched that a lot. Oh, yeah. That's good. And maybe probably Guardians of the Galaxy is the one I've watched the most of the wow. Marvel movies. Wow. Um, what about you? Logan. Oh, yeah. I've, I'm you know, I'm up to my 50th viewing of Logan. <laughs> My numbers are nowhere near yours.
1: <laughs> Do you mean less f- or more?
0: Oh, way less. Oh, okay. Yeah. When I say I've watched Star Trek the most, it's probably six times, maybe five.
2: <laughs> I love Logan
0: two pieces. Uh, it's a great movie. It really is. By the way, I was thinking this is just a quick digression. Yeah. You, I think you did uh, like a top 10 uh, superhero movie yes. fairly recently. And I was thinking about this is that there was a time when, a long time, when the number one superhero movie of all time was a non-argument. Yes. It was Dark Knight. Yes. There was just no question it was Dark Knight. Absolutely. And when you were doing that recently, I suddenly went, you know what? I think it's a almost a, a four-way argument for Ooh. the top. Okay. Uh, Logan being one. Yes. Uh, Avengers Infinity War being one. Sure. And Spider-Verse. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, Spider-Verse might be my number one superhero movie of all time. That's right a fair argument to that make, movie man. That movie is so good.
1: And it's, it's been phenomenal to uh, find out people who don't like Dark Knight, like Kal- Kalinowski. Does, it's not that he doesn't like it.
0: He doesn't think it's a Batman food movie. He thinks it's a
1: Joker movie that Batman is in.
0: Well, that's I think that is true. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, Batman is not as important as the Joker in that film. That's incredible. And, and I didn't know anybody could say anything negative about that movie, but hearing you know, certain people talk about it. I think it's a great movie. I think it's a great movie. Mm -hmm. But I think it is a... uh, Part of it is that Heath Ledger's performance is one of the greatest things ever put on film. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So taking... If you take that out, it is not across the board as great yeah. as, it's still a great movie and that's, I put it as a four way tie sure 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 but, sure. but Spider-Verse might I love that movie so much that's it's be- so good I bought it in 4K recently I can't
1: wait to watch it in 4K but I've like it's on Netflix so I would right. just pop it on as background yeah. while I'm doing stuff around the house uh, alright the second question totally, uh, totally unrelated if every living director would release his or her next movie today and you knew nothing else about the respective movies whose director's movie would you go see you first. Keep up the great show and greetings from Lipsic, Germany. Thank you, Florian. Guten Tag.
0: Um, uh, I just drew a blank on his name. Okay. Uh, um, uh Baby Driver and uh, all those. Oh shit! I don't know. Oh, uh, Edgar Wright. Edgar right Yes, he is a really interesting, fun filmmaker. Okay. I always look forward to his movies. Okay. Um, obviously, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. That's my number one choice. Yeah. He's never let me down. Yeah. That's my number one choice. You know what it is? Edgar Wright's more fun. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson, I go, okay. <laughs> here we go. See, but I go, okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, I jump into it.
1: I love it. Um, and I just interviewed for the Deep Cut, if I can put a little plug. Of course. Um, I just interviewed Leslie Manville for the Deep Cut for an hour, who's the sister in uh, Phantom Thread. Oh, right. And got nominated. She was a delight to interview. Oh, that's awesome. So you guys can look out for that if it's not out already uh, on the Collider Conversations podcast feed. Um, Yeah, it's Paul Thomas Anderson and maybe Fincher. Maybe
0: Fincher as a close, close 1A, you know? Um, I, I love, there are many Fincher movies I love. Yeah. I don't, They don't have the. Across the board, Paul Thomas Anderson is like. They're really good. I agree with you. Um, Okay, this is from Christopher Prince. Mm. John and Steve, first of all, I would just like to say I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I hope you guys uh, go for at least another 150 episodes. (laughs) There's enough movies. There are enough movies (laughs) Uh, or more after this milestone. I feel very strongly uh, that part of the fun of watching movies is seeing them on the big screen with an audience. My question is to you guys if you could go back in time. Uh, whether it be eighty years or even a f- few months, which film or films do you wish you could have seen in the theaters on the big screen? I think we had this question the last time we did a Q and A. Yeah, probably. Uh, we because th- we both said we'd want to see Citizen Kane. Yeah, when it came out, yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. that. Um, uh, I would, I would love to be there, there like. F- there's certain movies that I think change the world in interesting ways mm-hmm. is like, I would love to be there the first time a Bruce Lee movie was shown. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Or I would love to be there. Um, the first time that uh, like last picture show or mm-hmm. um, uh, the graduate was shown like mm-hmm. movies where there'd been, no one had seen a thing like that before mm-hmm. and be in that audience to react to it. You know, it's
1: funny, Steve, um, a film I don't run to watch, but we did recently, uh, Network. Mm. I think it would have been fascinating to sit in a theater watching Network and then have a Q&A afterwards. Mm. I think to, to see it for the first time in a movie theater and see that, that would have been fantastic. Ben-Hur is certainly one to be in a movie theater the first time. The epic nature of that movie right. would have been incredible to witness. And I think the first time seeing Godfather.
0: Uh, yeah. see, seeing the theater,
1: be seeing Godfather and the reaction people might have had afterwards. yeah.
0: You know what would be fun too? So Jaws would be another one? Oh, Great choice. Yeah, absolutely. What's weird? What's weird, by the way, is all of these. I don't know how you if you're mm. going back knowing the movie. So, in my mind, I'm going back. I've already seen Jaws. Right, right. So everyone else is going to be screaming. I'm like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> oh, here's the head. Oh, right. here's the you know, that'd be fun. The roast. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, all right. That was Christopher Prince. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Jack Pugh's. Uh Hello, John and Steve. I was wondering what your thoughts were about the, this very popular trend in the industry lately of doing sequels remakes and reboots of past films while I understand the business side of it do you think it's hurting creativity I personally love some of the content we've gotten from this trend but I keep wondering when we're going to get the next great original film or idea that captures the minds of the world I understand there's wonderful new content coming out each year but nothing seems to have that pop that certain 70s and 80s movies had when they released with a few exceptions every day I feel like they announced they're doing a remake of this or that and it's getting a little frustrating for me just want to know what you guys thought thanks Jack Pugh's
0: it's funny I think I f- I feel like I kind of already answered this for me which is that mm-hmm. it's on TV. Right, you know what I mean? Like the the world like you'd said that the the movie world is going to be like yeah. events and I think that it's, you know, these big communal events and you're going to get the uh inventive 70s complicated stuff is going to be on TV. Yeah. And in a weird way, in some ways that's better because there's long form. Yes. You know, rather than just having 90 minutes or 2 hours or 3 hours to tell your story, it's 10 hours or 10, three seasons or four seasons, so mm-hmm. that's what I think. I think
1: it's a great point, Steve. A lot, a lot of great filmmakers are going to TV so they can have that extra time to uh, create their pieces and really get people to sink into them and enjoy them, so that's a fantastic point. As far as the remakes and the reboots, and the re- look, studios are always going to default nowadays to money. What's going to make us money? A product people know. I know people are mad about the Disney live action movies. Aladdin's about to pass a billion dollars. Uh, Lion King has been an incredible opening at you know whenever you're listening to this uh it's opened and done so well so like the, until audiences don't patronize these reboots remakes um, or reimaginings then they're not gonna stop making them so that's that's how it goes it's you vote with your dollar by not going to these things but as uh, you said here uh you know it you're enjoying some of the content
0: so yeah there you go yeah um, this is from Alex Ginley. Uh, Dear Stephen John, congratulations on making it to your 150 episode. Thank you. I truly hope we get thousands more. <laughs> here's the dreaming thousands, thousands, Alex. My God, Alex. I mean, how long do you think we're going to live? <laughs> exactly. My God. Uh, my question to you is what cinematographers do you believe to be the greats? Roger Deakins and Freddie Young obviously come to mind. What Ooh. others do you love? Ah, okay. Deakins th- 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 is the greatest cinematographer working today in my sure. opinion. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, Greg Toland, uh, obviously is uh, one of the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Antonio Storaro, is that it's who's mm-hmm. apocalypse now? An amazing cinematographer. Yeah, yeah. Um is another one that I
1: like as well. Uh, the work uh, he has done um, throughout the, the time that he's had to put stuff on screen and and what have you, I've always
0: enjoyed his work um, as well. Um, there's the I'm trying to remember his name, the, the cinematographer from The Godfather, uh, Gordon Willis. Oh yeah, Gordon Willis, fantastic, known as known as the Prince of Darkness, yeah, because he could get blacks like nobody else could get blacks. That's a great point. Um, yeah. There's probably a ton more that I'm not thinking yeah, of. Yeah, Lubezki
1: did. Tree of Life, uh, Ooh, Ali, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Water for Chocolate. Uh, you talk about Vittorio Storaro. Is that the mm-hmm. one you were, yeah, yeah, yeah. Footprints on the Moon. Um, Greg Toland, we mentioned. Uh, we mentioned uh, Vilma Zygmunt. Oh, Vilma yeah. Zygmunt, yeah. sure. Good stuff there as well. Um, I, we mentioned Conrad. Go oh, Conrad Hall, of course. Conrad Mar- Hall, Marathon yeah. man. Those are some – Janusz Kaminski uh, has done some incredible work as well as a uh, as a um cinematographer uh, I, I'm i not as uh, versed on them but some
0: Haskell Wexler is fantastic oh, sure. he and did Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf he, that we did he did oh and uh, Deschanel uh, who because uh, we did oh the, yeah Caleb Deschanel Caleb Deschanel yes. did The Natural who did um, Black Stallion yes and Right Stuff I can remember them from the movies that we did <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Wexler did uh, Matawan which is about to
1: come out oh. on Criterion and I can't wait to have that in my hands uh, in, like that's a film that I didn't know people knew enough about and it's great to see that someone does for god's sake
0: don't you think that the criterion collection company should hire the cinephiles i think so it's just a natural on every one of their upcoming releases there yeah. should be a cinephiles discussion uh, i'm down yeah or at least one of us I'm just saying
1: all right Shireen McFarlane what? is our, did I just get fired <laughs> no I just mean uh, all right <laughs> this is Steve this would be nice I, I would love to do a, a podcast affiliated with Criteria That'd wouldn't fantastic. that be awesome yeah uh, Shireen McFarlane our next uh, question hello Steve and John I've been listening to this podcast for the, for the past couple of years and each episode blows my mind oh thank you thank you for going to so much detail and being so open slash honest about how these movies have affected your lives my questions are do you know any of the famous people that listen to the podcast? Uh, no. No. Who is the most famous slash influential person that you've worked with or had an interaction with? Keep up the impeccable work.
0: Ooh. Mine's John Rocha.
1: <laughs> Please. Yours is Joe Mantegna. Uh, Joe
0: Mantegna, yes. Yeah. Uh, worked with him on The Assistance. A couple of others, Stacey Keach and Jane Seymour, I worked with on that film. So yeah. the, that, those are great. Uh, people to work with Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if there are other people that I've really worked with I've met other famous people but not worked with them like that
1: well uh, interaction wise The Rock Dwayne Johnson that was really just the highlight of my life getting to interview him twice now and talk to him that's been fantastic Um, um, influential famous but you've worked with uh, maybe John Woo because we did Wind Talkers. I can say that I worked with him certainly in a voiceover sense and on camera Uh, and I Enjoyed his movies thoroughly, um, but i don 't know ma- many other like I interview people and talk to people, but do they influence me at that level
0: rarely I, I I theoretically wrote for Robert Redford, oh, yeah, one of the uh, um, Cousteau documentaries i I worked on, and I edited a bunch of sequences, and I wrote all the narration for my sequences, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which Redford ended up being the narrator. Oh, wow, I never met him. <laughs> but what was really funny is like I had my versions because I did all the temp narration. Mm-hmm. Kind of like my narration better than Redford's. Yeah, that sounds like Steve Moore's. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> What's our next one? Uh, it's from Parker Holler. Uh, food. Hello, John and Steve, longtime fan and patron, Parker. Thank you for your patronage from Woodbridge, Virginia. Holy A lot shit, of Virginia's. That's where I grew up. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Uh, my question is, what was the first movie that made you cry? For me, it's Armageddon. This is like this is like from you. Did that send this? Yeah. He says, you're welcome, Roka. Uh, and what is the hardest you've ever cried from a movie? For me, it's Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Suck it, Roca. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I joke. Thank you for everything. Well, for, I think Parker
1: has emailed us before because he has the last name of two guys I went to high school with. Oh, that's right. And yeah. now he's not related to them. Yes. Uh, so, but great to know you're there in Woodbridge, Virginia. Uh, say hi to my m- mom and my uh, family there. Um, what is the first movie that made you cry? Mine's Rocky. 100% I, yeah? Rocky. Rocky, okay. Yeah. Okay. I think it might be the champ.
0: We did, We talked about this before. You said yeah. that was because I said Rocky. And you said the Champ. We had this yeah. discussion. Maybe it was our last. Q&A.
1: Maybe it I was. Remember. I think it was Rick Schroeder and John Voight. That version yeah. of the Champ, not the Wallace Beery, Jackie right. Cooper version. Uh, and s- that was the one that I uh, uh, I remember just like crying my face off uh, at that movie. Uh, what's the, the hardest you've ever cried?
0: Ooh. So you know mine because you were there. Okay. Which was up? Oh yeah. So up. So first of all the opening uh, montage in up is one of the greatest pieces of filmmaking I've ever made. Yeah. I teach it in class it is a remarkable montage. Uh up hit me at a time that was the roughest year of my life. Yeah. My dad was dying. Um my parents had just uh my dad was dying of ALS mm-hmm. and my parents had just made the decision to give up on travel plans because their whole plan when my dad retired was to travel the world which is what's in up they were debating whether to sell their house because it had stairs and my dad was losing the ability to walk so they wouldn't be able to go upstairs my dog had just died oh my wife and i just found out we couldn't have children so that happens in that montage um the um at the end of the movie the uh What's his name? Put pins the badge on Russell. Yeah, my dad was my scoutmaster who pinned my Eagle Scout on me. And at the end, they have ice cream at Fenton's Ice Cream. Yeah. That's in Oakland. We used to go there and have ice cream with my family. <laughs> wow! So that movie was so directly at my life at yeah, that moment. Yeah. It was so, and I literally I was sitting with all of you guys. we at the El Capitan. Yeah, I remember. And I and. I'm not a. I mean, I'll cry at a movie, but nothing like this had ever happened. I was so Mm -hmm. totally, completely destroyed by that film that we walked outside and we're all standing in a circle and it's like, "Hey, what'd you think? What'd you think? Hey, Steve, what'd you think?" And I literally just went. I gotta go, yeah. and I just left. I couldn't even speak to anybody. Mm-hmm. That's so that's my answer. Uh, I recently Avengers: Infinity War. At the
1: end, the second time I watched it, I, 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 I right Unashamed, I, unashamedly just broke down in front of my friends who were seeing it for the first time, and I feel self conscious about that. But the hardest I've ever cried, uh, kind of a similar story to Steve, uh, was maybe less than a year after my father had died. Uh, I had gone to see About Time, that British romantic comedy. Mm. Um, um, with Shannon, uh, who's one of the member of the Geek Buddies. Yes. And the scene comes where the kid has to have that conversation with his dad about um – Their relationship and I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't seen it but it's something that changes their relationship Um, and I broke and I'm barely talking about it now without breaking again. I just snapped and I was like Tom Cruise – I mean uh, Tom Hanks crying and – Private Ryan after right. G- Giovanni BC dies, that cough crying, convulsing, yeah. crying, that was one of the worst cries I've ever had in a theater. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, once again, that's the power of film. And also that's your your reality sure. being like, you know, uh, being touched by what you're watching on the film, your reality being touched yeah. that way and causing that reaction. Yeah.
0: So what was it? Why did it say food? It was all about crying. Yeah, I not <laughs> I was all excited to talk about
1: food damn it Parker Todd Lewis um, are there any guilty pleasure movies that you secretly are not so secretly love but have yet to find the right moment to mention it to the other guy that you really want to do an episode on it thanks for everything you do you guys I work third shift and always look forward to Friday mornings so when I can listen to the new episode oh thank you Todd and hey shout out to you for working that hard
0: brother we respect that yep absolutely uh, guilty pleasures um, first of all I think there are going to be more of them that's my <laughs> yeah, I don't we, know what you we did Con Air recently. Yes, we did. It was totally fun. Put the bonnet down. <laughs> you know, I, I think we need to celebrate our guilty pleasures yeah. and enjoy the silliness. Um <sighs> It was funny. I was trying to think of what would be the next uh, kung fu movie we do because mm. we haven't done one since Police Force. Police Story. Police Story. It's the same. Oh, is this it? Oh, yeah. They did you buy the
1: Criterion one by the way? Not yet.
0: Not I yet. almost bought it for you as a gift, but I thought you oh. bought it. I, I I just missed the sale. Like I I forgot to do it. Next Fair time enough. there's a sale, I'll get it. Fair enough. Um. Uh. And and uh, so I was thinking like, well. We probably should do like a Jet Li movie like like Hero or something, which is Mm, beautifully mm. filmed and and really talk about the martial arts. But then I was thinking – I actually love – uh, Return of the Dragon. Bruce Lee in Rome defending the weird Chinese restaurant <laughs> where he fights Chuck Norris in the Coliseum. I, there's totally silliness in that movie that mm. can't be defended. It's Bruce Lee. It's some of my favorite fight scenes. Is Kareem in that one? No, that's Game of Death. That, one, of that Death. one, that one's that's where Bruce Lee died in the middle of making it. Oh, so right. half of it is with somebody else. Right, right. Yeah, that one, that one I don't know that we could do. There's <laughs> not that much to talk about. I'm down to do that one. The other one that Return you- Return of the Dragon. Yeah, Return of the Dragon. I'm down. I'm um, down. I think it's called Way of the Dragon is the other title for it. Yeah, um, or I'm Chinese to think of connection. Other, uh, I'm trying to think of other guilty pleasures. <laughs> gotta- I mean, Major League is a guilty pleasure. Well, no, but people love Major League. Yeah, I'm not. Right? I'm not. I don't feel guilty
1: That's about that one. Not a guilty one. pleasure. I, I mentioned two earlier: is the Gay Blade and uh, oh, yeah, Love at First Bite. Those are certainly guilty pleasures of mine. Um. Oh. Uh, oh God. Oh, God forgive me. <laughs> Um A Million Ways to Die in the West I cannot explain to you why that film it. makes me laugh from beginning to end I don't understand why I enjoy the fuck out of that film Charlize Theron is fantastic Seth MacFarlane is funny in that movie and I'm not a Seth MacFarlane guy um but for whatever reason, that film just makes me laugh from
0: beginning to well, end. But it and, come out like two years ago. Yeah, and so we so can't. Eight do that years one. from now, <laughs> we'll set a <laughs> After date. We've done thousands of films, thousands of films.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, is there another guilty? Do you have a guilty
0: pleasure? Just trying to think. It's Hard to me.
1: Yeah, remember. The, that's my boy, the Adam Sandler
0: one. I have a guilty love for that. Oh. I mean, not things that I wanted, like uh, I, I, I liked Waterboy probably more oh, than yeah. I should have. Yeah, But I would have no desire to do it. Cable on the Guy. I love Cable Guy. I didn't like it as much, but I saw it right in that film school angry era. So maybe <laughs> oh, I would need to yeah, revisit yeah. it. Oh, The Heartbreak Kid. I enjoyed that remake, <laughs> even though I had no business enjoying that remake. Uh, right. This one is from Martin Windiger. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, Stephen John, I have a question for each of you. Huh. John. As you have mentioned a couple of times on your shows, you changed your name. I was interested in how you settled on John Stephen. How did your parents, family, and friends react to that decision, and do they still call you by your old name, or did they go with the change right away? Uh, I thought he was going to ask what the name was. Yeah, was like, that's not going to come out. That's
1: never coming out. Unless, uh, unless I love you, you don't get that name. Um, and I mean in a romantic way. <laughs> it's like, don't you love me, Oh, I changed the name when I was nine years old. Because I was moving to a new city, and I had been made fun of a lot in the old city, which, is, which was Coolmore at uh, Falls Church, Virginia. Uh, and I was moving to Woodbridge, Virginia, and I changed my name because I was a fat Latino kid, and I didn't want to get made fun of anymore. And I was moving into a predominantly white uh, place to live. Um, so I was um, a massive John Travolta fan. At that time So John is how that came about That's how that came about And that wasn't Jonathan It's John Uh, And Stephen came about Because my mother had always wanted to name me Stephen but my father, in the classic old-school Latino thing, superseded her and named me what he named me. Uh, so uh, that's – and yes, initially my he, my father's family had a really hard time with it because they felt it was an insult. Uh, and these are old-school Latinos. Right. So they refused to call me that until I stopped responding to them whenever they call me the old name. I <laughs> purposely – I was a stubborn mule. I refused to do it. And thank God I had the support of my mom and my dad in those situations. Uh,
0: to not respond but you no know, no one calls me about my old name it's been decades, uh, Steve. When did you know you wanted to get into directing? Was it something you always wanted to do, mm. or were you originally interested in something entirely different? Sorry if you've already talked about these things in one of your episodes. I don't think so. Nope. Uh, I might have forgot about it or not listened to that episode. You haven't listened to every episode, Martin. <laughs> uh, usually, I watch the watch the movies before I listen to your detailed analysis. Thank you for your time and all the great content. Your tr- yours truly with greetings from Vienna. Hey. Another from Vienna. Nice. Martin the Windy P.S. Awesome top 10 show in London I was there It was great I would come again next year
1: Oh thank you Martin That's awesome We're We're coming again next year
0: That's right Um So I always wanted to be an actor. Mm-hmm. I started. I acted in my first thing when I was in first grade. I acted in something all through being a kid, uh, all through hi, uh, junior high school, high school. There wasn't like I realized that when I was like a senior in college, I hadn't gone a year without being in a play. Mm. My my whole life, you know, since I was in first grade. But uh, freshman year in high school, there were two guys that did Zoo Story, the Edward Albee one act. Oh yeah, at my high school and. And I watched them, and I went, "Oh, I can't do that." Like that was my <laughs> oh, first, wow. yeah, my first moment of going, like, "Oh, I'm not set up for that." And it, I said, "I guess I'm not going to be an actor." Wow. Like that was the, the, such a young age. Yeah, I was I was 13 or 14, um, and it's it's funny thinking about. and I still continue to act. I was always acting and stuff. Yeah. But I wish, like, part of me wishes I had acted more because I actually like acting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in uh, high school. Uh, Junior year, I think, I, we, uh, a buddy of mine wrote a play uh, who's actually my most successful writer friend today. Carl Guideshek who wrote uh, Tom Cruise movies. He's mm. an executive producer on Stranger Things. He's wow. written I mean he's a big time writer. Mm-hmm. Wrote Liam Neeson movies. I forget the name of it. Uh, he was uh, there was the submarine TV show with Andre Brower. He was just showing her on that. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. No Carl's like big time. So he wrote a play and kind of went hey does anyone want to direct my play? And I was like well I'll, I'll direct it. And that was was my first play that i directed hmm. and it ended up going to the bay area playwrights festival and like suddenly i was like hey this directing thing feels really good and yeah. i started went to theater school and started directing theater and that's kind of where it came from wow you know and, and it's funny i still like to act but as you know i like the whole thing and mm-hmm. the thing about directing is you know thinking about the whole picture the story the editing the way the things put together all the details that's what i really like to do certainly that sounds right
1: uh, Alright, uh, next question here is from Matthew Hasso, who's a big, big fan of also. the Top Ten and Cinephiles. Stephen, John, as always, thanks for all the amazing content. Fridays are made better by every new Cinephiles episode. Oh, thank you, Matthew. Question, what is your favorite studio Ghibli film? Will
0: you ever cover one on an episode? Totally. Do it. Yeah. Um, I like Howl's Moving Castle. Okay. I like um, Princess Mononoke is not my no. favorite one um okay What's the other one? There's the other let one. Me, let me read them all off to you and see what you think. Uh, Nasika,
1: Castle in the Sky, Grave of the Fireflies, My oh, sorry, Castle in the Sky was what I was thinking. Yeah, is it? Okay, yeah. okay. My Neighbor Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service, Only Yesterday, Porco Rosso, Pompoco, Whisper of the Heart, Princess Mononoke, My Neighbors, the Yamadas, Spirited Away, which a lot of people Spirit love. Spirited Away, I like a lot too. The Cat Returns, Howl's Moving Castle, Tales from the Earthsea, Ponyo, Oriety From Up on Poppy Hill, The Wind Rises, Tales of the Princess Kaguya, and when Marnie was there, uh, Princess Mononoke is my favorite. Mm. Bar none. Barnon, on there's something about that story that I love to death the visual nature of it all is incredible going back into that time uh, the train rides all of it just really works for me on so many levels and for whatever reason it's one of those Ghibli films that I don't fall asleep in. I always fall asleep in these Ghibli films near the end or about 20 minutes uh, they before have a the certain end. pace yes and it's like you got to be totally dialed in yeah. to enjoy it but I find I fall asleep but Mononoke is the one is the one film that I've never fallen asleep in there you and go. thoroughly enjoyed
0: uh, hi, Steve. Uh, this is from uh, Anthony Gonzalez. Gonzalez. Yeah. Uh, hi, Steve and John. Cheers uh, for to 150. If you guys could cheat and review a film before its 10th anniversary year tomorrow, would you do Arrival, Logan, or Sicario? <laughs> Uh, for me, it would be Logan. Yeah, I'd have to say Logan. Sicario might be second. Uh, Arrival would be second for me, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, I do like Arrival. I do yeah. that too. Yeah. Uh, it seems as though we're getting closer and closer to Quentin Tarantino writing and directing a Star Trek film. Oh, uh, I enjoy about two-thirds of Quentin's work and I'm a lifelong Star Trek fan, but I just don't think he's a good fit at all for Star Trek. Do you agree? Yes. Um I've gone really back and forth on this. When I first heard it, I was like, no, absolutely not. He's wrong and – as came up in Inglorious Bastards, I have weird issues with Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. who I think is an absolute genius. I think he's a brilliant filmmaker. He writes brilliant dialogue. He has an amazing style that I love. But there's also an arrogance to him that kind of rubs me the wrong way sometimes. Um, and so I kind of go, "No, he shouldn't touch my precious Star Trek." <laughs> but then I kind of went, "You know what? Why not? Like, why not have that crazy artist come in and do a take? And maybe I'll like it, and maybe I won't. But it would be really interesting. Certainly plus." I do know that he is a genuine, real, old-school Star Trek fan. Yes, he is. Yeah. Um, if you had to guess uh, – did you have more to say on that? Just that I don't want to see cussing and sex in my Star Trek or overt uh, violence. Agreed. Like he loves to do. Yep. That's, that's my feeling yeah. too. Uh, if you had to guess, what would be the first Kevin Costner cinephile episode that you'll eventually get to and – to the outlaw should there be a Kevin Costner slice on the schmodown wheel I think he
1: certainly deserves a schmodown slice on the wheel a lot of epic films that a lot of us or a lot of films that that rather that uh, have left impressions on so many of us Um, we haven't done a Kevin
0: Costner film no I don't think so fuck me We've got to handle that. So, well, we already talked about one tonight, which is Field of Dreams. We did. Yeah. Uh, we talked about one recently that I love. Might might be a guilty buzzer. is Tin Cup, which I adore. Tin Cup would be fun. Totally. I want to throw open, open Range in there.
1: I've never seen it. What? Yeah. My friend,
0: I would like to lobby for All Open right, Range. All right. Let's do it. Let's it's do such it. Such a great, great film. Uh, okay. Lastly, a filmmaking question. Sometimes a director will shoot a scene of simply displaying characters walking, maybe down the street at night, through the woods or hills, or down train tracks, a la stand by me. But sometimes the director will shoot essentially the same thing, but the only difference in this inst- instance is the director is trying to convey that these characters are being watched or followed. What would you do uh, differently? Just curious. Thanks for answering. That's, that's a you question. Um, so the first thing is long lenses rather than wide lenses. Long lenses give you flatten out space and give Give you more of a sense of being watched, hmm. and the biggest so and then the biggest trick is that if you shoot first of all through something. So if I'm shooting through the trees or through the leaves, so you see foreground as well as the characters far in the background, that gives you a sense of being watched. And the biggest one is you do handheld. Hmm. So if you're in a horror movie and you want to have the sense that someone's being watched, well, then make the camera handheld, shooting through the trees as someone walks by. They're being watched. Yeah. That's great. Pretty basic. Okay. Okay. All right. Last question uh,
1: from Jay Quarantello. Hi, Stephen John. I know you have a Q&A show coming up soon, so I had a couple of questions to send along. Also worth noting, I love the show. I look forward to each week's episode. I'm also, I'm also teaching a high school English class where we analyze films, and I have assigned them summer reading to watch Citizen Kane, as well as listen to your podcasts on Orson Wells and the Citizen Kane commentary. That's awesome. That is that's pretty great. awesome. Thank you
0: Jay Anyways the questions Steve how do you prepare Your research on a film For each episode um- I mean the 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 first basic one is whatever's on the Blu-ray. So mm. if there's a commentary track and behind the scenes, that's always where I start. Uh, I always look at check out a few articles, whether it's Wikipedia or if they're important sort of critical things. Um, that's the main stuff. And mm-hmm. and just the the process has kind of gotten refined over time, which is that when I watch the movie, I'm just typing through the whole thing, which honestly is the least fun part of the cinephile. I'm now, sure is watching the movie because trying to get all the important lines of dialogue written down and everything in the right order and all the details just in order is hard. And then I create a separate document where I put in just kind of all my notes from all the other research. And then I incorporate the second document into the whole movie, placing everything sort of where I think we might talk about that particular thing Right. Um, until I end up usually with a 25 or 30-page document that I'm going through when we're doing the episode. The irony is that Steve
1: – has uh, refined the technique, but it's led to longer episodes. Right. That's the irony of the whole situation.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so much irony.
1: <laughs> uh, Stephen John, do you ever get angry at one another over your discussions? Does the anger last outside of the studio? Thanks, Jay. Uh, no. Never. I, I w- never get angry over our discussions. Over our discussions, no. Uh,
0: uh, Off mic about
1: entirely different. Yeah, sure. Right. We've, we've battled at times about the direction of the show or the it, the time constraints or whatever. But that happens. I I've, I've battled with Matt and I'll I'll yeah. probably battle with uh, Shannon and Mike at some point with Geek. Not Buddy. with Shannon. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I've never fought with Shannon so, yeah. except one time when mm-hmm. he left me alone. That son of a bitch. When he went and got, I was grabbing a pizza at Comic Con three years ago. And he left a man behind. Never never leave a man behind. You never leave a man behind. That drunk son of a bitch. He ran off without me. I was nervous and I was scared. These were like unsavory people that looked like they were about to gut me for my money. (laughs) So much Uh, stuff goes on at Comic Con. Comic Con is not as uh, as joyful as people make it out to be all the time. Um, No, we never we never fight. uh, It. I always always enjoy. The reason we did this show was Steve came to me and he said, "I want to do this show." will you do the show with me because I love talking about film and we had discussed the possibility of doing a three person show with blue with Blue where we, call, where we were going to call I don't know what do you think that was going to be the name of the show I don't know what do you think um, but then that never really came to fruition and Steve one day was like I really want to do the show we're going to do the show and I was like great that sounds like fun and uh, it's been fantastic to have these discussions with Steve because uh, I respect Steve's intelligence and knowledge of films and anal- analysis of films and um,
0: It's always good to see it uh, like another way to look at something. Well, and it's like we disagree. Yeah, certainly. I mean, sometimes you're very wrong. (laughs) But, but. But that never makes us angry. That's no. part of what's fun. In fact, some of my favorite episodes are ones where we strongly disagreed. Yeah, you know that's sometimes that's what being a cinephile is—is is like, not agreeing. All yeah, the time. like Lost in America, I'll never fucking see again, and you love it to pieces. That's <laughs> what happened. Armageddon. Yeah, I understand why you love it. It is a dumb movie. Yeah, there you go, and it's fair. Absolutely. Um, uh, so that is all our questions for our fans. John, I, I, have, a, I have a question for oh, you. Oh, this coming from at uh, SR Morris? From yes. at SR Morris. Yes. Um, do you think that – if you were going to pick an era of film mm. that's going to be representing you, would it be the, the, the director moments of the 70s auteur filmmakers? Would it be the well-constructed films of the 80s, the musicals out of the golden age of Hollywood? What's your era? I,
1: I think I've always felt that the 70s is where I live and breathe. Uh, I, the grittiness, the, the urban, the, the dirtiness of those movies and the, the willingness to show a mirror to the ugliness and corruption of our institutions. I've always felt an affinity for that in the 70s. And I think it's it's such a unique and lost art of filmmaking uh, that uh, it breaks my heart all the time because not a lot of filmmakers nowadays are willing to destroy the institutions or expose the institutions or explore the institutions of our lives because everyone is afraid to have these institutions fall around them. So, yeah
0: that's probably mine too. And with between films like network and Godfather and, uh, the conversation and, uh, and also films like Rocky and Jaws and mm-hmm. Star Wars that's a really amazing era of film but yep. I'll tell you what's interesting and it's really from doing the cinephiles my respect for the 80s has gone up and up oh and up. yeah there are just so many like wow the 80s is an amazing era of mm-hmm. films that I didn't think about because maybe when I was more like irritating intellectual I was like no it's all about the 70s and the gritty right. well I love that stuff but it's also like you know what Amadeus and Raiders of the Lost Ark and The Breakfast Club and mm-hmm. When Harry Met Sally and Die Hard and there's so many great movies in yeah. the 80s. It's a lot of great stuff. I agree with you and, and that's the thing that I think that's a fair point to
1: uh, rediscovering the 80s because also you get caught up thinking oh it was all you know, r- neon colors right. and bubblegum poppy stuff that isn't really have any value but remember in the 50s there were a lot of gritty sure. dirty films as well and the music was very poppy and fun and bubblegum yeah. as well so I think there's a lot of correlation between the 50s and the 80s mm. uh, in terms of films and filmmaking and I, I think my second favorite decade might be the 50s and then the 80s, third, and then possibly the early, uh, the 2000s to the 2010, like 2000-2010. Yeah. Not the 90s. Not the I I just It's
0: not a great, it's I, not my favorite decade. Yeah, of film. I don't have as Although much Although there affinity. are great films. Yes, there are. Definitely great films.
1: I just don't have the affinity for the 90s uh, that some people might have.
0: Can I tell you one more thing before we go? Sure. So I have an idea of something to do for the cinephiles. No, not you. It would break all the rules. Oh no. I've been thinking lately and this is just cuz it would be fun. Mhm. is to do the entire MCU. What? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Well, I'm not entirely sure, but maybe – because not all of those movies deserve its own episode. No, certainly Iron Man 2 does not. Yeah, Iron Man 2 doesn't. Thor 2, I don't think, really does. Like, we could take some of them and do two or three movies in an episode. But some of them do deserve a whole episode.
1: So we could do the Iron Man episode, the Captain America episode, the Thor episode,
0: the Spider-Man episode, the Avengers episode. Is that what you're talking about? I'm saying go through, in order, the entire MCU up to Endgame. Right. And do – phase one, and go through the whole thing, or phase one and two, Okay, um, from beginning to end. One movie a week? I would think, well, that's what I'm saying, is that some of them maybe would be two movies in an episode, because well, they'd be shorter. Right. That's what I'm trying to clarify. Do you mean the in all the Iron Man movies in one episode, or do you mean one episode? No, I'm saying, I, 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 first of all, I don't know the answer. <laughs> I was just thinking about this, is that maybe uh, the good movies get a whole episode. Yeah. Iron and Man the, should get a whole episode. Two and three should be Iron Man, we already did. Right, we did, I'm
1: sorry. Yeah. Two and three can Combined. be their own episode. Yeah. I think Thor one and two can be their own episode.
0: And Guardians of the Galaxy, its own episode. Episode. Yeah. Civil War and Winter Soldier, they get their own episode. Yes. Um what do you think of this idea?
1: I, I like this idea, but I, I I don't want us to lose touch with the old stuff. So okay. as long as we mix in the old stuff, I'm down with it. Unless you're talking about a three month it would be a th- – I don't know. I mean if we did it all together, it would be a three-month journey. Well, I think if our patrons uh, up their support of the show, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. We uh, This is the um, mm, exchange. And maybe yeah. we have separate conversations about each of the movies that we give to the patrons as a thank you. So I don't know. Where are we at right now? Let's get to 2,500 and then maybe that's a possibility. <laughs> like this idea. <laughs> I too Got anything you want to ask about? Um – yeah, one – this is from at the Roca says, uh, Steve, I got a question for you. Yes. By the, the way, love says. the show. Uh, <laughs> um, what has been the one thing you've discovered over the last year of doing the Cinephiles that uh, has surprised you about the show or that you didn't anticipate? Um,
0: well – Uh, Or
1: or have you changed how you view the show now over the last year?
0: There are episodes in the course of the cinephiles that have changed the show in my mind. Mm -hmm. And um, some of them were in very subtle ways. Uh, Amadeus was the first sort of – that's our first really good episode. I agree. (laughs) Apocalypse Now, uh, West Side Story, those are ones where like – uh, I had I had to change the way I thought about the show and the way I approached it. The Civil War is a tr- is a transformative episode in terms of how I edit the show mm-hmm. in ways that n- might be that no one will ever notice. Yeah. The 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 big thing that happened in the Civil War because it was so big is that traditionally what happens in the show is that, I, is that we sort of tell the story as we go along and then when we get to a moment that's interesting or makes a good cut into the quote or the music or whatever it is, is that we say, and then this happened or and then he said blank and then I cut to the thing. Right, And I couldn't do it that way in the Civil War because we, we didn't walk through every single Thing no, that happened because right. it was too long. Is that? And then what happened was instead of us introducing the moment that I cut to, frequently we were talking about a thing, and then I cut to something completely different mm. because we could have um, the narrator in the Civil War introduce the next moment, and that changed the dynamics and the way that the show was edited because it allowed more freedom. And in fact, the choices became again. This is just me thinking about the process. I don't know that anyone's perceiving it mm-hmm, this way, mm-hmm. but the choices became more artistic because. Because it wasn't just this happens and then this happens and this happens, it's we we're talking about a thing mm-hmm. and then the, the the edit to the film changed the subject. And then that let us so int introduce the new subject right. and then we are talking about the next thing. And that is something I've been incorporating more in how I've been editing the show since then. Okay. And I'm hoping to change <laughs> to some degree the way that I take my notes mm-hmm. to, to allow for more of that. Because the what's nice about it is I want the show to feel free. Yeah. In the way that it's that it's organic, that this is just this thing happening, not so much me just telling a story which I get tired of listening to myself. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. All right. Um well, We've made it to a, through our 150th episode, and we couldn't have done it without all of our support from all of our fans. Obviously, those questions were fantastic, and thank you so much for sending them. Uh, we love interacting with you. So if you have more stuff you want to talk about or things that you heard that were interesting, visit us on our Facebook page. Do a search for The Cinephiles. You can uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify, a whole bunch of other places. You can subscribe on YouTube where we'd love to see your comments, leave your reviews on iTunes, support us on Patreon.com slash TheCinephiles, get the numbers up to $2,500, and we'll be doing some Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Yeah. And uh, as always, you can reach me on Twitter at SRMorris, on Instagram at SRMorris1, and John, where can they reach you?
1: You can always reach me at the Roka says on Twitter and on Instagram. And as uh, I want to plug all my stuff, the top ten, if you haven't listened to that, go find that, the top ten, Matt Nost and I, the Geek Buddies. With Shad- hey. hey! That's right. with Shannon McClung and Michael Volk. Google, go find that on uh, Wherever you stream uh, uh, Podcasts That Trust me That's a great Great show And then uh, um, the Collider Conversations I do the Deep Cut That It's Collider Conversations Is the name of the podcast feed And you see my episodes On there The Deep Cut Really starting to turn The corner on the show And getting some great guests In uh, Who speak about The world of, of Entertainment And explore Their personal experiences And yeah Some of it gets real Vulnerable and honest And that's why It's called the Deep Cut So please give that show some love
0: as well. All right. And I think that is it for our 150th episode. We'll be back with another 150 over the next three years.